Hello, GuideLeap family. I'm Shannon Woodruff, creative director here, and I'm so excited to share with you His Holiness Radhanath Swami, the New York Times best-selling author, philanthropist, and teacher. His work of feeding 300,000 children per day in India and establishing hospitals, eco-villages, and several other philanthropic projects has led him to meetings with world leaders globally and right here onto your screens with us. Welcome, Swamiji. Thank you, Shannon. I am so honored, so grateful, and very happy to be with you and everyone who is with us. Yes, we're so delighted to have you here today. So I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. You know, your work came across my um, field just a few weeks ago. And um, in the form of the, the fly and the bee, the honeybee and the fly, I'd love to hear that story as kind of an intro for our audience. <laughs> well, oftentimes, Shannon, we can understand human nature and we can get great life-changing lessons from mother nature and one of those limitless lessons is the honeybee the honeybee hovers from flower to flower seeking nectar and even if there is a large area of, of, of um, sewage or what we would call trash, the honeybee will just fly over all of it, not be disturbed by any of it because the honeybee is seeking the nectar. And even in a pile of all this um, polluted matter, if there's one single flower, the honeybee will go there and drink the nectar. And it's interesting when the honeybee goes on a flower to taste the pollen, the pollen also gets on the, on the body of the bee. And therefore, wherever that bee goes, it spreads the pollen. Mm. And similarly, um, there's a saying, saragrahi, that a person who really has high values and who has a spiritual direction in life is always seeking the essence. And that essence is to seek the potential good in other people and try to actually bring out that good. Um, to, to seek the essence in situations that may come upon us Sometimes things happen that are beyond our control, but we're looking for a positive opportunity of how we could grow, how we could serve, um, how we could succeed better in that situation. So this idea of seeking the essence and finding the essence and spreading that essence. And from a spiritual perspective, the true essence is within ourselves. Inherently, we're spiritual. Inherently, the, the living force within us that's, 
that's experiencing life through the body and mind is in Sanskrit, Satchit Ananda, eternal, full of knowledge and full of happiness. And that happiness is in our capacity to experience love and to love um, from, a, from a spiritual perspective, to, ex to taste God's love and wherever we go to share that love. That is um, various ways in which a person can seek the essence and share the essence. The more we have of, of beautiful, good qualities that we find within ourselves, the more we can share that with the world. And then there's the fly. And certainly we offer all honor and respect to the spirit within the fly, but still there's a lesson we could learn that if a fly is in a beautiful garden of fragrant flowers, the fly will be seeking one piece of excrement. And where, where, there, where there's decomposing matter and there's garbage and there's human excrement, flies are very enthusiastic to taste that. And because they taste it, they, they become affected by it. And then where they go, they could spread disease and spread pain. So if we're seeking the es essence of, of compassion and love and goodness through our spiritual practice, through the people we associate with, then we not only taste that nectar, but wherever we go, we could be instruments of that nectar. Um, there's a beautiful poem that someone recently recited to me, which describes um, the nature of a person who has this love, this love of God, this love of truth, that if a person puts on perfume for their lover, then wherever they go, everyone will experience the pleasure of that perfume. So when we have this love, when we have this compassion, everywhere we go, our energy, our words, our actions will uplift people. What a beautiful parable and such a relatable example of, of how we can spread love and compassion just by choosing to see and interact with those moments in our life. Thank you. Thank you. So um, it was recently, it was shared with me that it has been 50 years since your journey to India started. I'd like to hear about, um, about your life. And I understand that you were born here in the US, but you've spent much of your years in India. Can you share um, where you're from and kind of your, your story with our viewers? <laughs> I don't know how much time we have, but take as much time as you want. I'll, I'll make it brief. <laughs> but, I, you know, in context to your previous words, I, I guess I was, when I was young, I was trying to be like that bee. <laughs> I was trying to seek truth. Um, I was born in 1950 in Chicago. Um, my grandparents, um, you know, they came from from Eastern Europe and 
mostly because of um, persecutions and discriminations. They came to find shelter of freedom in America. And, you know, those that weren't able to come, they were all killed. So, so you know, that was kind of a, a foundational experience of my growing up. Um, from my earliest childhood, um, I just had a natural inclination to of aversion let us say an inclination to be averse to um, discrimination mm. and um, I saw that you know people were judging each other so much sometimes people were judging me I, I knew I knew how it felt and I I couldn't I couldn't bear people treating each other so like this. And I saw a lot of greed and a lot of arrogance. And I saw a lot of goodness too. But um, I saw that it's that goodness that makes life beautiful. Um, it's not how much we accumulate that gives quality to our life. It's not how much money or how much fame or how much property, it, it's our values. And um, when I became a teenager, I got very involved with the civil rights movement. And um, I also got involved with the counterculture because there was a war in Vietnam where people were forced to fight. And it really didn't make sense to me. It, it just seemed like something very wrong. So in many ways, I was questioning, why is there so much hatred? And even in the name of a loving God, I saw people in the name of religion hating other people. You know, I, when I would read various scriptures, because I was very much um, open to the idea of the oneness of all religion, um, I was saying that, you know, the teaching is about love and compassion and humility. And how could these things bring about arrogance and hate? And, and judgmentalism. So I, I was a social activist. I was a civil rights activist. I was a counterculture activist. And I came to a conclusion that unless I really change my own heart and my own consciousness and my own inner values, I can't really be a sustainable or effective change in the world. And I believed that that change was spiritual. So I went on a spiritual quest and I began to study various religions because I, I felt there was something beautiful at the heart of all religions, but I needed to actually find where that was. So um, I somehow or other made it to Europe with one friend and we had practically no money when we got there because we had a another friend who was actually bearing all the expenses, but our first day he got robbed. So he went back to America and we decided to stay and we were hitchhiking and, and we were making the scene, you could say, in Amsterdam and London and all these places. And... And I was actually becoming quite popular. 
was, you know, a counterculture person from America was, you know, seen in Europe in those days as something special. But, you know, at the nights, I would just think, you know, in in many ways, I'm getting more than I ever had, but I feel so empty. Mm. I feel like I'm just wasting my time. What is really meaningful and purposeful in life? So I started spending more time studying um, art and museums to get moral and, and spiritual messages. And I was going to churches and cathedrals and synagogues and I was going to um, monasteries and forests and sitting on riverbanks and I became just very much engrossed in a spiritual pursuit. I just felt this calling in my heart and it was on an island in Greece. Um, I hitchhiked from London to Greece and there I was praying and praying for direction. You know, what really is my path and how, who really am I and, and, and how can I really be an instrument of compassion in this world? And I got this calling to go to India. So I hitchhiked to India. Um, when I hitchhiked through Europe, I was studying the Western spiritual paths through the Middle East, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, it was dangerous, but possible in those days. Mm -hmm. um, I studied Islam. Um, when I arrived in India, I studied various forms of Buddhism and yoga and Hinduism and Baha'is. And um, I was really just seeking the essence and I was finding something so beautiful. I was finding a spiritual principle meant to awaken our love and live in harmony with that love and in all these great spiritual traditions. Um, but I also saw so many things that were deeply displeasing to my hearts, you know, so much arrogance, um, so much judgment and hatred of people because they're different. And, and, and I, I kind of learned a lesson that Wherever we go in any spiritual path, there's there's going to be people like that, and there's going to be people who are seeking the essence, and those people are going to be able to recognize the essence in other spiritual paths. So um, it's a long story. I wrote a book called The Journey Home, where I actually um, tell the story in more details. Um, but I was living in the Himalayas as a sadhu, as a wandering um, uh, seeker. And ultimately, I came to a place called Brindaban, which is um, the holy place in India, especially for people who are on a path of bhakti or devotion. And there I found something so rich and so beautiful and it was so inclusive in the sense that I could really feel the, the beauty of all other true spiritual traditions you know, in this practice that I, um, that I decided to really put my heart into it. And Vrindavan is the place where people worship God in the form of Krishna. Krishna means the 
the supreme object of love and the supreme lover who's all attractive and all beautiful and whose sweetness and and grace is overshadows all other aspects of the divine um and i met my guru prabhupada there who who i witnessed his compassion and felt his compassion and just wanted to assist in that compassion and shannon that's how i ended up like this what a journey you know there's so many parallels i took from your early days and your disconnect and dissonance with your society and the culture to what's happening now um here in america but also worldwide is there some parallels and some lessons there that you could could help us uh, unpack? <laughs> There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> um, in the 60s, especially the late 60s, um, there was a great divide in the society. Um, there was a large segment of the younger generation who was very much um, not accepting the directions of the older generation. And that's why it is called a counterculture. Um, and a lot of it was going around the, the Vietnam War because when you're 18 years old and you're a male, um, if they call you to go to Vietnam and fight, you either have to go there and kill or be killed, or if you don't go, then you'll be put in jail. So you had two choices, either get put in jail or escape from the country by somehow going to Canada or somewhere illegally, or go and kill. And if you didn't believe in it, you know, World War II and, you know, these were people believed in the war and therefore they were signing up like anything. But so much of my generation did not believe in this. And, it, and when, when, believe me, you know, the president at the time, Richard Nixon, was um, as unpopular as anybody could be. <laughs> as far as a leader of a country for our generation. Um, and of course, you know, the civil rights, um, you know, we, we really felt for the African-American people and other minorities who were being kept in poverty and who were being, who were being seen as something less and, and that was unacceptable to our hearts. And, um, and the lead, some of the leaders, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, were assassinated. There were serious problems. There were serious upheavals. Um, at one, you know, and, and I would, went to a peaceful demonstration just to ask questions, and the Chicago police tear gassed me and chased me with clubs and beat so many of the people I know, and we just wanted to make a positive difference. <laughs> so these things were going on. And, and I think that, you know, protest with the proper motivation um, is something that really wakes up a society. Um, 
when there's when we build our activism upon a true spiritual principle a principle that i am a part of god i am a person who whose greatest potential is to love the supreme person to love god and to feel that love and to be an instrument of that love then we naturally see everyone with equal vision the bhagavad gita teaches this principle that real knowledge, real wisdom is not how much data we accumulate in our brains. Real wisdom is the ability to see everyone with respect, to see everyone with equal vision. We may not like what people do, but we understand, as Martin Luther King say, that inherently everyone is good. And the and success and greatness is based on a person's character, not on a person's external accumulations. And um, when we live for that purpose, then everything becomes wonderful. And today, um, things are really being shaken up. Um, this pandemic of COVID nineteen. Is, is is kind of putting humanity in a helpless condition where we understand there's th there's things that we just cannot control and we and it's very sad to see people suffering physically and emotionally and and you know we should feel sadness for those people and and for our loved ones and we should be very cautious because this body that we have is a gift of god that you know we should take care of very nicely um, but at the same time you know it's an opportunity to take a step back from the routines and the habits of of our ordinary lives and really question what is the most important way that i could utilize time what is the real values that are truly important in life? What are really the values I truly want to um, exemplify and impart to my children, grandchildren, and the society around us? And it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for um, seva, for service to others. It's a wonderful opportunity for spiritual awakening because there's so many things in this world that are always changing. But one thing we can do is we can connect to our own true self. And through that experience, we can, um, we can find shelter. We can find shelter in God and we can actually do good in this world. I was thinking about your journey, your, your personal journey, and how the beginning of the journey, you started with this conflict and you know tumultuousness, and it led you to your, um, to your awakening and your teachings and, and who you are now. And I was thinking about how many people, maybe this is that fertile ground for them, 
um, that dissonance so that they can uh, really begin to explore and start to unpeel the layers to get to their true self. And, and um, I was just thinking that I, I, I thought I would share that with you, so. Actually, Shannon, what I was trying to say with so many words, you just said it so, so <laughs> Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> so you, you shared when you um, landed finally, or not, not, maybe not permanently, but in India, you met your guru. Um, guru is a term that is maybe not well understood here in America, and I'm not sure I quite understand it. Can you share what a guru is and, and how that relationship works? A guru is a teacher, a mentor. Um, in, 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 on the spiritual path, there's, you know, there could be many gurus, um, just like the honeybee could be a guru because the honeybee is teaching us so many beautiful things. There's one scripture called Srimad Bhagavatam um, where one king, a king was going through the forest and he, he was a very noble and saintly king. And while he was there, he saw this man who was just wandering. He didn't have, he didn't have anything. And the king just could, could see what his consciousness was by looking at his, his physical form. And he said, please, I want to know from you the king asked this question. Everyone in this world is trying to find happiness through wealth and through fame and through comfortable homes and, and nice conveyances and, and, and sexual partners and all these things. But I don't see you have any of these things. You're just living alone here in the jungle. But I see that you're the most peaceful and happy person I've ever seen in my life. And this is very much a contradiction from everything we learn. We think that if we have all this stuff, we'll be happy and you don't have any of it and you're happier than anybody. So tell me, how did you get to this, to this experience? And the person said, I have 24 gurus. And he began to explain the sun, the moon, the wind, the trees, the bees. And he explained what he was learning from nature. So many life-changing lessons. Um, but when we speak about guru, we're generally speaking about a particular person who opens our eyes and opens our hearts with a grace by which we could see these things in nature, by which we can, we can be spiritually transformed, by which, you know, through our lives, we can discover ways of awakening our love and, and, and awakening other people's love for God. Um, so a guru is one who, who takes one from darkness to light, from ignorance to knowledge, from suffering 
to true happiness. And they teach us, the, they show us the path by which following that we can make that connection. So how, how did you find your guru or how did your guru find you? And how would you, anybody who's watching this and is looking to experience a relationship and a transformation like that, are there signals or cues along the way um, that you're ready for that? Or um, you can <laughs> understand this a little bit better. Well, I was seeking for years and I came to the conclusion, I'll never find myself. Um, it's something that is given. Um, if we have a sincere heart and we're seeking, then by God's grace, um, the guru is revealed to us. The path is revealed to us. There's a saying that what, by the mercy of Krishna or God, one gets a guru, and by the mercy of guru, one gets God. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is the guru is 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 a friend who's who's really um, taking us by the hand and showing us the light and the path and someone who sees the divine potential within us and and reminds us of that wow thank you one of your teachings is compassion. Um, would you share with us what compassion is, what it means to you, how we can practice this, and to share it with the world? In Sanskrit, there's a very powerful statement which describes the actual state of mind of a person who's enlightened. Enlightenment is not just someone who has supernatural powers and can perform what we may call miracles. Enlightenment is not simply a great abundance of, of intellectual knowledge to, to quote scriptures you know, profusely. In, enlightenment isn't necessarily you know, not eating and not sleeping. The, the real quality of enlightenment is paradukaduki, where other people's suffering, we feel suffering for them. And other people's happiness, we feel happy for them. Suhridam sarvabhutanam, to actually truly be a well-wisher for all beings for all types of humanity, for all species of life, to actually be a well-wisher, to live in harmony with the, the loving nature of the soul, and to be an activist in whatever particular role we may be. It may be as a mother, it may be as a father, it may be as a teacher, it may be as a spiritual leader, maybe a person in business. Those are all details, but... Um, to have this purpose, to have this intention with it as the foundation we build our life on, how I could actually uplift others, how I can bring people out of suffering and make them happy, actually happy. 
And then there's three levels of happiness. There's physical, there's emotional, and there's spiritual. And of course, you know, people have these bodies and they affect them. So we want to help them on the physical level in whatever way we can through our through our kindness, we encouragement, we try to uplift people emotionally. But most important is to help people, to feel for people on a spiritual level, to help people understand their own inherent spiritual potential, to understand that we are this eternal part of God. We are this eternal spirit or soul. And that is not affected by old age or disease or death or heat or, or cold or, or any material situation. Material situations are always changing, but our true nature is we're an unchanging part of the Supreme. And to that type of enlightenment becomes the source of the greatest love and the greatest love is expressed in the form of compassion, being sincerely a well-wisher to others. I really felt that um, definition when you were saying it. Is there any other uh, message that you'd like to share with our audience today? This has been wonderful time. <laughs> I'm just so grateful to be with you. And in this world, situations are changing. Sometimes it's stormy and sometimes it's sunny. There's dualities that permeate this creation. Heat and cold, honor and dishonor, pleasure and pain happiness and distress, success and failure, victory and defeat, health and disease, birth and death. And you can't have one side of the duality without the other. It's like a coin with two sides. And if you take one, you take the other. So that's just the nature of this world. And you know, to live in this world, but not of this world, means we can be very responsible in our career and our occupation and our social responsibilities and our activities with our family, but we understand it from a spiritual perspective. The Bhagavad Gita tells that everything is this, all of the things of this world are God's property. And that means our intelligence, our abilities, our wealth, our, our, our homes, and, and the entire environment. Everything is God's property and therefore it's sacred. And it should not be exploited. It should not be unnecessarily polluted. Respect means to live in harmony to actually respect nature and to you know we take from nature and we and we we reciprocate by giving back something that nourishes nature not something that pollutes and that all living beings are god's children and to 
to actually live in this spirit of re respecting the sacredness of life in all of its forms. That's where the real joy, the real purpose and meaning um, of life is realized to the extent we come closer to that beautiful understanding that life is sacred and creation is sacred. And I, my, my true self is sacred. Um, there's no reason to be unnecessarily discouraged or depressed by trying to compare ourselves to others because we don't have to compare ourselves to others. If it makes us better, then that comparison is something positive. But it shouldn't ever put us, make us feel down because we are all unique and specially, um, specially beautiful in our own right. And when we recognize that, we don't become arrogant or proud of it. Rather, we, we recognize that same beauty in, inherently in others. Can you recommend a daily practice for us to shift into that um, frequency? Well, as you just said, Shannon, it's, it's a matter of tuning in to that frequency. And there are so many frequencies in this world. There's the frequency of anger and the frequency of greed and the frequency of arrogance and the frequency of anger and so many frequencies in this world. Um, but there's also the frequency of love, the, the frequency of grace. And our spiritual practice is our meditation, through our prayer, through our puja, our worship ceremonies, through the people we're with, through our studies, they're meant to tune us in to that frequency of grace that's within us and all around us. Um, and if we perform our spiritual practice seeking that essence, then our life becomes so beautiful, becomes transformed. Um, in, in my practice, we, we chant God's names. Nam Nam Nija There are many, many names of the one supreme truth. Um, when that name is chanted with sincere devotion, it's, and, and various of these spiritual sound vibrations are connected, it's called a mantra. It may be a one-syllable mantra, or it may be more-syllable mantras. Um, Lord Chaitanya, who was one of the great um, avatars or teachers of pure unalloyed love for God and pure unalloyed compassion to all beings, he personally um, taught us the chanting of what is called the Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. But chanting these divine sounds, we may have another mantra, but when we chant those divine sounds and we give quality time for that tuning in, um, it nourishes us spiritually and gives us great spiritual perspective and strength to live with character to live with compassion in whatever life we have.
I can relate to the sound. Um, you know, I think sound is such a beautiful, pure form of God and energy. Um, you know, it's one of the first things we do when we hold a newborn baby. We sing to it, we coo to it, and we we connect to that and really channel that energy. And I love when you're explaining, when you're chanting a mantra and using that sound and that frequency, you're connecting back. It could be through meditation, silent, or reciting very quietly, or kirtan. Kirtan means singing, singing ourselves or singing with others. It not only um, purifies our own heart, but it purifies the entire atmosphere around us. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for this time today. We've had some beautiful comments come in. Um, I, I really appreciate your, your sharing your story and your time, your generosity with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon. And I'm just so grateful to you and to Amir, and to Daron, and to Prudence, and to everybody else I know who are connected to um, Guidely. And it's just a wonderful thing that you're doing. And and it's it's just so special to be with you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That is part of our Guidely family he just spoke of. Um, you know, part of why I wanted to talk about the guru relationship is because that is something we're bringing forth is this ability to connect with a coach or a mentor to help you achieve that expansion. And so thank you for, for sharing that with us again. Have a wonderful evening. Blessings. Because of you, it's already wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, and thank you to everyone who tuned in. Um, it was a wonderful time today. Thank you.